Good morning, everyone. Um, if I don't know you, my name is Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christy, and I, we pastor the church here. If you are new, I would love to meet you after and say hello and give you any information about the church. Uh, one final thing. I know we got our fill of announcements. It's fall season. We got lots going on. I um, just wanted to give you a little update on our capital campaign and the building program that we are involved in. If you are new, you may not have been or may not be aware of this, but we did a capital campaign raising money from the people in this church to find ourselves a new home. We've been raised, uh, renting space from this Methodist church, and they've been wonderful hosts for us, but we want to find our own place to meet someday. So we are pursuing a building in downtown Farmington that uh, we are looking at, and we raised money a couple months ago. So our original goal was $300,000 to be given over the next two years, and uh, you, because you're so awesome, uh, we raised in pledges for the next two years over $560,000, which is awesome, so we should clap for that. All right, seems like everyone's a little sleepy, so I'm gonna keep doing the audience participation thing until everybody wakes up. So if you don't want me to be one of those annoying preachers that says, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, blessings, <laughs> then, uh, then you better wake up, because I don't want to become that guy. All right, um, so we've got that committed to give over the next two years, and so far of that amount, 100, over 180000 has been given, um, so that is ready to go. So here's the deal. We have the building, and I've, we've been talking to the owner. We've been sending in you know, letters of intent and offers, and we're trying to get the, the price nailed down for us to buy this building, and then we're going to need a lot of money. You know, we'll probably have to finance some money as well to renovate the building. Um, but I'm saying all this to say things are moving forward, and I'm encouraging you, A, if you haven't gotten on board with the campaign, the Welcome Home campaign, and you would like to, we'd be happy to give you information on that. And if you've made a commitment to give over the next two years, don't forget about that commitment. Um, we would love to have, and even the money that comes in sooner than later will help us towards having money for a down payment or being able to pay cash for the building instead of having a contingent offer on finances. So there are great benefits to having the, the pledge money come in sooner than later. So I encourage you to stay faithful to those, and I will keep you updated um, as we move forward as a church for our new home. We're excited about that. All right, I'm going to start out today with a story. In 1628, the year 1628, in Sweden, King Gustav ordered that a mighty warship be built. You know, Sweden was a military power at the time, so maybe a little bit different than today. I don't know. Maybe they are still today, and we just don't hear about it. 1628, the Vasa warship was built in Sweden. And it took years and a ton of effort and manpower to build. And then on the day where it was going to make its maiden voyage, people came out, crowds came out. It was a great moment for Sweden, this warship, which was considered the most powerful ship in the world at the time. And the Vasa warship set sail. And about a thousand meters into its you know, maiden voyage, it tipped over and sank to the bottom of the sea. With everyone watching, and they're like, oh no. And uh, maybe they never built another ship after that. Uh, maybe they just started building cars soon after that. If you drive a Volvo, you might want to you know, double check that it's not going to tip over. Um, but in 1961, nobody really knew what was wrong with the ship. But in 1961, it was raised up off the bottom of the sea, and some experts studied it. And they realized, well, they built the ship, first of all, it was way too top-heavy. But then they also discovered that it was asymmetrical. The port side was thicker than the starboard side. Like, the whole thing was off. And then they uncovered some of the measuring rulers that were used to build this ship. And they uncovered a problem. Some of the workers were using rulers calibrated to Swedish feet, which was 12 inches. 
and some of the workers were using rulers which were calibrated to, at the time, Amsterdam feet, which were 11 inches. So everything they did was just off a little bit. They weren't off by much, you know, an inch. But an inch here or there eventually is going to, you know, sink the Vasa warship. All right, in the year 2003, another story. The Laufenberg Bridge was built in Germany. It was in a town that borders Germany and Switzerland. And this, build, this bridge was built in 2003. And both sides were going to start on their side. They had the exact same plans, and they were going to build it, and they were going to meet in the middle. And both were using exact sea level as the starting point. But then as the bridge got closer and closer to the middle, they realized, well, one side is a foot higher than the other side. And they realized, oh, what we did was we didn't realize that the Germans and the Swiss have different measurements for what is exact sea level. And one started 23 centimeters lower than the other. So when they got there, the bridge was not going to work and they had to make many adjustments. One final story. Right here in Farmington in 2012, I decided to take my kids to the zoo. Now, this was at a time when Christy was traveling and speaking, so I was single dad a bit, and I said, I'm going to get these kids to the zoo, and I'm going to be responsible dad, and I did so many things right. I had the diaper bag, Dottie was younger, maybe not even the diaper bag anymore, she might have been three or four, she's our youngest. Well, I had snacks and lunches and backpacks and everything else needed, and I said, kids, get in the car, someone, uh, someone strap your sister in her car seat, we're going to have a great day, we're going to have a great day at the zoo, and we got to the zoo, and uh, I realized that Dottie, our youngest, hadn't, didn't have any shoes. She wasn't wearing any shoes, and there was no other shoes in the car. And also, she wasn't wearing any pants either. So our trip to the zoo, see, I did so many things right, but I forgot the basics. And that's the, that's the theme of all those stories. You've got to get the basics right. You've got to, you know, make sure you start to build the bridge at the same height. You know, before you build the ship, you've got to tell everyone, hey, is everyone using the same rulers? Is everyone using the same rulers? You would think that that would be self-explanatory. For me, it was just making sure, hey, is everybody wearing pants? I've got the backpack with all the other good stuff, but is everybody wearing pants? Because you can do so many things right, but if you forget the basics, then anything else you do after that doesn't really matter. And that's the title for today's sermon, you've got to get the basics right. And I want to talk today about one of the basics for life, one of the basics for your life that you have to get right. And if you can get this right, if we get it right, then everything else we do on top of that is going to line up. Everything we build on top of that foundation is going to line up right. It's going to be in alignment. And if we don't get it right, then everything we do is going to be off and the bridge isn't going to meet and the ship is going to sink and... The pants are at home, I guess, is the, is the analogy there. If, every, if we don't get this foundational thing right, everything we do on top of that is going to feel off. So here it is, and I know you're excited to hear what this one basic thing for life is. And you're thinking, this is it. This is the answers. This is like the big stuff. And here it is. This is the one thing, if you come to church, you have to get right. God loves you. God loves you. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, that's it? Like, I got out of bed. I'm missing Vikings kickoff for that. Like, I already knew that, right? You're, you were hoping it was going to be one of those, like, cool phrases that sound edgy and cool that you can tweet that your pastor, my pastor said this, he's so on fire today. You know, those, those Facebook posts? Well, you're not going to really do that. You know, Pastor Jeff Kerr just said, God loves you. What? This church is amazing. You know, we're not going to do that. That's a very foundational thing, right? And some of you are thinking, yeah, I get that. But here's the truth. It is easy for us to get that in, like, general terms. 
Yeah, I get it. God loves people, for God so loved the world. Yeah, I, I understand that, that God is love. But sometimes, and often, it's hard for us to get that on an individual level. God loves me. God loves you, the individual. For, for God so loved your name that he gave his only son. For God loves you. We have to get this. This is everything. This is everything. This is the reason we were created, because God wanted people that he loved and have a relationship with them. This is the reason Jesus came to earth, because God loves you. This is the reason there's a church, because God's love for his people. He wants us to know him. So we're going to talk about the love of God today, that we need to get this foundational thing right. We got a lot of stuff going on at the church, and there's a lot of exciting days ahead as a church. But for us as a church, we have to make sure we have this right. God loves us me. God loves you. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. Isaiah is pretty much right in the middle of your Bible. There's a uh, black hardcover Bibles on the pews there if you want to follow along. I encourage you to read your Bible throughout the week and even bring it on Sundays to follow along with the sermon. Um, I know some of you read your Bible on your phone or your other handheld device that used to be a phone, but now it's just, you know, a game machine. Um, or also the words will be up on the screen. All right, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. We're just going to read one verse today. Isaiah 54, verse 10, and it says this. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I'm going to read that one more time because it's so good. And there should have been some amens there. <laughs> I'm just joking. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That is good news today. That verse right there is good news. God's love for us and we've been singing about it today. We picked songs that talked about God's love. Christy already mentioned it. God's love is an unfailing love. It's not contingent on our behavior or our actions. It is unfailing no matter what. No matter what you do, no matter where you've been, God's love for you is unchanged. He is the creator of the universe and has an unfailing love for you. And when we get this, when we really get it, it affects everything we do. It's like we can walk through life looking at everything through that lens, I am loved by God. I am loved by God, and that never changes. It's a firm foundation. But when we don't get it, everything else we do feels a little shaky. It feels like that Swedish warship, just a little wobbly. feels a little uncertain. It's precarious. I was looking up online on thesaurus.com uh, synonyms for the word unstable, and one of them legit was wonky. Wonky. I thought that was just a slang term, but apparently it's now a real word. So if you're playing Scrabble, you can use it. Wonky. Everything feels wonky. So maybe I'll say that a few more times. When you don't get it, everything feels uncertain because you're not grounded in that love for God or that love of God that he has for you. So a little bit of background on this verse in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and this was written at a time. God was speaking to Isaiah at a time when Israel was in a season of exile. There was a time after several kings where finally they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, the city, the temple, and everybody scattered. And they took all the rulers and a number of people from Israel to bring them back to Babylon to be basically slaves. They were living in exile in Babylon. This is what happened to the nation of Israel. So this, as a result, 
the nation of Israel feels that they are done, that they're done. It's game over. They had had generations where God had said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to, you know, take care of you, all this stuff. They felt like they had a great relationship with God. And now, because of this exile, they think it's over. They think God has rejected them, that they have no future, no relationship with God, certainly no security, because they're exiled. They're living in another country. They're basically slaves. They were outcast, and they felt that physically. They felt that spiritually. In every way, they were in exile. And that is when this verse in Isaiah was written. That is when this verse in Isaiah, though the mountains, God speaks to them and says, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Isaiah's words would have been so encouraging to the nation of Israel who would have thought, we're done for. But God speaks, no, my love for you is unchanging. Isaiah uses an analogy in verse 1 of that same chapter, Isaiah 54, verse 1. I just want to read that. This is Isaiah, how he starts this chapter. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Okay, so you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Isaiah is using this analogy of a barren woman or a woman who can't have children. Now, in our modern Western world, that doesn't really carry the effect or the impact that it would have when this was written. In our modern world, if there was a woman who can't have children, she still has ways of being cared for. There's social security. There are social systems in place. But that wasn't the place in ancient Israel. Your only method of having security for yourself was your children. When you got old, especially if you were a woman and your husband died, your only way that you were going to be taken care of was your children. So if you were a woman who had no children, you essentially had no one to take care of you. You had no future. And worse, in that culture, if you were a woman that had no children, you, that was seen by everybody as a curse from God. That was seen as everybody, by everybody as saying, God is done with you. God is cursed, has cursed you because you have no children. So for a, a woman without children in that day and age, it meant no future, no security, that God was done with you. And this is the language that Isaiah uses to describe Israel. This is the language that Isaiah uses. But he is saying this, sing, barren woman, even though you never bore a child, because God's faithful love is true, and you are gonna, your children and your security and your descendants are going to be more numerous than anybody. This is the message that God has for the Israelites. This is the message that God has through Isaiah. A, a barren woman has now received security and faithfulness from God. God's love has never changed. And so when you get to that verse again, verse 10, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. And I love these words after that. Nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This is the Israelites getting such a great reminder that we have failed in the past. We have felt like we were outcasts, but God's love has never failed. And those words, a covenant of peace, I just want to talk about that again in that verse. Nor my covenant of peace has been removed from you. This is not a worldly peace. God's not saying, now you're never going to face another bad day. And this same promise is for us. God's not saying, you know what, my love for you means that you're never going to have anything difficult in your life. But it's a covenant of peace between you and God. What that covenant means is that things between you and God are good, 
And this is a covenant. And that word covenant is a strong word. We don't hear it too often in our day today. Usually it's in marriage. If you go to a wedding, they'll talk about the covenant of marriage. And what that means is it's stronger than a contract. We got lots of contracts. You know, if you take out student loans, you sign a contract. I'll pay back the student loans, and you will lend me this, and I'll pay it back. If you have a contract with someone else, you say, okay, as long as you hold up your end of the deal, I'll hold up my end of the deal. That's why marriage is not a contract, because marriage is not built on, okay, as long as I get what I need from you, then I'll be faithful to you. No, marriage is a covenant, right? Marriage is a covenant that says we're together no matter what, no matter what. And so that's the language that God is using to describe his love for his people. This is good news. God's not using the language of a contract that says, well, if you mess up enough times, if, you know, the, the personal mess-ups that you do, if you have your, you know, personal sin punch card, once you're done with eight, you know, start-overs, then you're done. You never have the love of God anymore. God's love is not contingent on your behavior. It is a covenant. It is a once and for all, it's done no matter what. This is the language that God uses to describe his love for us. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you do. His love for you is unfailing. His love for you never changes. His covenant of peace never gets removed. And we need to anchor our lives in that, don't we? Right? We need to anchor our lives in that. Because when we do that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Think about how, I want to talk about this, like viewing life through that lens of God's love for you, how does that change how you view yourself? Let's just talk about that for a second. How do you view yourself? Too often it's our insecurities that rule us, or just that thought of I'm not worthy, or I'm not valuable, or I'm not accepted, or I don't measure up. I feel like that barren woman in Isaiah, that God has forgotten about me, I'm an outcast, I have no future, I have no security. It leads you to feel like you're not good enough. Have you ever felt like that? Just normal, everyday life, feeling like, man, I, I do not measure up. I'm not good enough. Ever felt like a failure? I go through times where I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything well enough. You feel like you're not doing good enough, which leads to seeking approval in other people. Some of us have battled that. You'll do anything to get the approval of other people, just trying to be accepted, constantly feeling on the outside or feeling guilty like you're a failure, you're not measuring up. I know we can all relate to that in some regard, but when we start, when we start with the understanding that God loves you no matter what, no matter what, God's love never wavers or changes. He loves me no matter what. When you tell yourself that, no matter what, that's amazing. I'm not disappointing him. I'm not a disappointment to God. I'm not falling short of his approval. God loves you. And when we start with that, we find that our insecurities just kind of fade away, right? When we start with that, we find that we don't need to seek approval in other things or other people because we have it in God. We have that relationship. We are standing secure in God's love for us. We are approved of, we are accepted, we are secure. And I know there's someone here today that just needs, this is your message today, that you're just feeling like you're falling short, whether it's as a spouse or a parent or in your career or as a student, and you're just feeling like you're not measuring up. You're just feeling like you're a failure. God loves you. God loves you. Your lo His love for you is never wavering. It's not going to fail you. It's not going to be removed. You are accepted by God because of his love for you. 
So when we understand that great foundation of God's love for us, it changes how we view ourselves. But another thing it does is it changes how we view other people. And I think we need to learn this as a culture today. It changes how we view other people. If we don't understand that foundation of God's love for people, well, then it's easy for us to mistreat somebody. It's easy for us to judge or label somebody, to vilify somebody, to oppose other people. And I know there's going to be oppositions. People disagree. That happens. That's a normal thing of life. Going through conflict is a normal thing. But the first thing that should come to mind when we view somebody else, especially somebody who we're opposed to or somebody who's angering up, making us angry, the first thing that should come to mind, the very first thing, is this. That person is loved by God. That person is loved by God unconditionally. That person does not feel like they need to measure up to God because God loves them no matter what. That should be our first thought, whether it's behind the wheel or in the store or in the classroom or at school or at workplace or online, social media in our politically crazy culture, our first thought should be, this person is loved by God. No matter what, this person is loved by God. And when we do that, it just changes our relationships. So that love for God should change how we view ourselves, it should change how we view others, and it should change how we view our faith. Right? It should change how we view church and faith. It's not just, you know, check the box. It's not just ritual and routine and rules. It's not like I'm tired of going to church. It's just I keep hearing all the things I have to give up or all the things I'm doing wrong. It's not about that. It's not about trying to be good enough to earn God's forgiveness or his approval. It's about a personal relationship with this God who created everything, who is so powerful, and he loves you. It's about that relationship. It's about finding that peace in that relationship, that joy, that love, that acceptance, and having that flow out of us into everything we do. It affects how we view sin in our lives. There's a verse in Romans that talks about it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I don't know if you've ever heard that verse before. We tend to approach sin in our lives like someone's just like you have messed up. You got like a teacher with a ruler that's, you know, smacking you on the wrist. At least that's what they used to do many, many years ago. Um, you know, you've messed up. You need to behave. That's not God. When we have sin in our lives, what we can say is this is not God being a taskmaster, you know, evil ruler in heaven, like ready to smush us with his thumb. It's a loving father that says, come on, you can do better. We got better things for you. I love you. I want you to grow in this area. I want you to get rid of that sin that's binding you. I want you to grow in this area of, of your life so that sin won't entangle you there. It's out of his love for you. So today, as we wrap up, I'm just asking you this. How does God's love need to impact your life today? Okay, the truth is there that God loves you no matter what. And you might not be feeling it today, but I'm assuring you because of the promise in Scripture, because of the words in the Bible, it's there. God's love is there. How does that need to impact your life today? On what are you building your life that's making everything feel shaky and you need to just build on the foundation of God's unchanging love? What ways does this need to impact your life today? Is it that you're... You're seeking approval of others or just driven by insecurity or trying to be driven by success so that people will admire you and that you'll be approved in our culture today? Does it need to impact you so that you no longer feel like you're a failure in God's eyes, but you know that you are loved by him? I'm wrapping up in a couple of minutes, but I just want to end with this. Just picture 
God as a loving father. Just picture God looking down on your life as a loving father. Now, for me, I have no problem doing that because my earthly father was very loving, is very loving. So I can relate to that. Some of you don't have that. When you hear God the Father, you think strict judgment, rules, don't mess up, disappointment. And so for you to view God as loving Father, you kind of you know, put that on God. But I want you to imagine God as loving Father. I think with my kids, I can't imagine there ever being a time where my kids would come to me questioning my love for them. Sure, there's going to be times where they trip and stumble and we got to do correct some things and there's going to be times where they might veer off the path. They're not perfect kids, but I can't imagine them ever questioning my love for them. If, someone, if one of them came to me and said, I don't think you love me anymore, I'd be like, that is unchanging. We can talk about all these other things, but that is unchanging. And that's just me as a flawed earthly father. Imagine God, perfect heavenly father, looking down on you, just encouraging you with his love. Come on, walk in confidence in this. Let go of those insecurities. Let go of that feeling like you're always trying to measure up or striving for acceptance or approval. Let go of that and just find your rest in the fact that I love you unfailingly. This love is not conditional on anything. It's a covenant that will never be broken, his love for you. Even if the mountains fall, the mountains are shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. We say amen to that. Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this love. We thank you for this love that we don't deserve, we didn't earn, but yet you pour it out on us. You are a loving God, and that never changes. You are looking down on each of us individually, saying, I love you. I want you to follow me. I love you. I want you to give your life to me. I want you to cast aside all those things that are shaky foundations that you're building your life on and build your life on this foundation that God loves you. God, we want to get that basic right. We want to start with that so that everything we do as a student or in our family or in our workplace, so that everything we do as a church is looked through through the right lens of your love for people. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So I pray that you would do that work in our heart, that we would grasp how deep and how wide is the love of God for us, that we would grasp it, that we would understand it more and more. And I pray that you would do that work in every heart, melt away the insecurities the striving for acceptance, the feeling like they're letting people down, melt those away in our hearts and fill it up with your unfailing love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.